to have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I got a brand new podcast for you. So um, this week we have back on Dan Picard. Um, Dan Picard is great. He might be the one guy that loves bow hunting as much as I do. Uh, we get together. It doesn't matter if we're on the phone doing a show. We get together and we talk bow hunting for hours. Um, so I just love getting him on the podcast. He's the the perfect guest as we just start going back and forth and. Um, you know, we have so many similarities, but we also have so many differences in our approach and they work for both of us. And so it's fun to sit down and talk that over. I always really enjoy talking to Dan and, and thanks to him for taking the time and being on. Sponsor for today's show is Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, they're a great company. Um, I always mention my buddy Chase works up at the Fairbanks store up there. Um, I've had other buddies that have worked for the stores at different managing departments, and they're always super knowledgeable guys. And that's what I like about Sportsman's Warehouse is they employ a knowledgeable staff in charge of each department. Uh, their employees have passion where they're outdoors and enjoying the same thing that we like to do. And so that really helps when you go in and you, you need something and you can get professional advice on it. I also like that you can go in the store and you can touch and feel it, try it on, make sure it's going to fit right. Uh, we're in the day and age of the internet, and it just seems like clothing or boots or you know ordering that stuff before you try it on can be difficult. And so you can go to a Sportsman's Warehouse that has um, you know all the the best name brands, the highest quality gear. Try it on, test it, make sure it's going to work for you. Look through it, binoculars, optics. Uh, great rifle store, like I say, a knowledgeable staff and, and great gear, and you can go in and touch and feel it. So thanks to Sportsman's Warehouse for sponsoring the podcast. And over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, we're just working away here. Uh, articles coming up or articles coming due, issues going out. Uh, the Beyond the Grid has been off the hook lately. Make sure to check that out. The last few episodes have been really good. Um, so make sure to check that out. I know the show on the Outdoor Channel, um, I think there was a – see what was the last episode god i can't remember the the last episode but my nevada episode was a couple ago uh if you missed it make sure to set your dvr um just great episodes uh great new episodes coming out right now on eastman's hunting tv and uh, yeah then then the podcast um had some super episodes and I, you know i got some good ones recorded and um some new ones i'm working on to get recorded um just super super excited at the information we're putting out uh, I just did that uh, bear hunting podcast, bear hunting 2.0 earlier this week. Um, yeah, it's got some great tips and tactics and, you know, like like everything, you know, I'm just always evolving and learning and getting better. And, and this bear podcast, like I, I just was able to put down a bunch of information and tactics that I've kind of evolved over the years. And, and it's so fresh in my head as right now we're in the middle of bear season. I've been going hard at it. Um, we got a month left. They're starting to really show up. Uh, I'd really like to arrow a nice boar. So um, having a bunch of fun with that, seeing a bunch of bears. And so I kind of share what's working for me. Um, also that bear podcast, there's so much of it that relates to Western hunting. And, and you can see, I'll start talking about bears or a tactic that works and then i'll go well really this works for about everything like this is a good tactic just for western hunting and so a bunch of good information in that make sure to check that out and uh yeah let's get this thing rolling so uh me and damp car we sat down one morning started talking bow hunting and uh we talk about all kinds of things uh Audad, new zealand and then um of course deer and elk and travel and um it, it's everything bow hunting a great episode um, let's get it rolling here. Hey, good morning, Dan. You got me? Yeah, I got you loud and clear. How are you? Oh, right on. I'm good. Um, yeah, audio sounds good. Um, yeah, thanks for taking the time this morning. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No problem. Uh, man, always nice. I can count on you to, to get you on the podcast. It always comes so easy for you and I. So um, like I can pretty much just line it up and get you on the call and we'll get talking bow hunting. Oh, yeah. No, it's yeah, for sure. That comes easy. And and uh, heck, we just came off a couple adventures. I, 
I kind of want to hear about New Zealand and I, who cares about Texas? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. New Zealand was amazing. I mean, you've done some traveling out there to Australia. It's just pretty wild to go to a totally different place, a different country. Like there's so many differences than traveling in the States. It seems. Yep. For sure. For sure. The biggest thing. No, you're going to say driving on the wrong side of the road, weren't you? (laughs) (laughs) That is crazy. How come I can't wrap my brain around that? I don't know. It's so crazy. Yeah, I had to like really, really focus and concentrate when I mean, I got there to Auckland and rented a car and just like took off and were like, okay, the right turns are the dangerous ones. (laughs) You know. Yeah, it's pretty difficult. The the roundabouts, you got to go opposite. You go left around them. But, yeah, it's something when you're so used to driving and it comes so easy, you have to think about it and focus 100% of the time or you're going to end up in a head-on. Yeah, yeah. If I could hardly navigate on Google on my phone and concentrate on driving without screwing up, I was, like, paranoid I was going to crash. <laughs> oh, I know. It is paranoia, isn't it? <laughs> yes, You're constantly yes. thinking about it. So that was really wild. And then, you know, there's just so many, you know, everybody has an accent. Of course, you're the foreigner, which is fine, but you really got to focus when people are talking. And then the thing I didn't realize is there's just so much slang involved, you know, when they talk that that you really don't understand what they're saying or you only get 75% of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My my favorite were, well, the slang, like you said, but like, oh, this guy's a wanker and that guy's a wanker. and. <laughs> Great people and hard hunters, you know, we hunted um, some red deer up some public drainages and things and um, different spots where you ran into guys and those guys are going for it, you know, camping out. They use a lot of the huts, uh, camp out. They hunt really hard. And um, one guy had a giant free range uh, red stag that he killed like an eight by eight. But just the absolute wow. specimen of a free-range red deer because they grow all those big ones are all grown in high fence, which you or yep. I have no desire to ever hunt. But the free-range yep. red deer is a lot like an elk, the way they roar, horn configurations, the way they look. And so yep. they're such a cool animal. And so I was almost flawed in my thinking of, um, you know, because they have high fence elk and high fence whitetails too. Um, but right. for some reason, I was turned off of the red deer. But once I got there and got in country and started seeing the free range and, you know, them during the rut, they are a really cool animal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anybody that's a bow hunter and, and is an elk hunter, you're going to love the free range red deer hunting. And I, I was the same way. I, you know, I, you know, wasn't too excited about the whole because everything's high fence down there. But once talking to a couple guys and finding some public land and, I mean, it's the real deal, and it is difficult, like you said, and you cannot outwalk a Kiwi, I can tell you that. That's it. Um, I I think those short shorts, they don't restrict them enough, and those guys can just walk. (laughs) Yep, 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 exactly. (laughs) But they they do. They they like the shorts, you know. I'm sure it's non-restrictive, and your legs move freely, and um, it's got to be kind of nice and freeing. But, yeah, the first time you kind of see them, and everybody's hunting in those shorts, um, you know, which is pretty wild. I might have to take up and do an episode in the short shorts and the little gators. <laughs> no doubt, right? Uh, me too, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was crazy. Um, that was really fun. Dude, the tar is where it's at. Like the, the tar hunting up in that public and those alpine drainages just reminds me of high country mule deer, elk, or I mean, uh, or sheep or goats, you know. And it's just amazing that you can go over there and have that opportunity to go hunt in you know the top of the southern alps for these tar this goat species that's such a cool species and and really switched on and in tune with their environment and you know they were introduced 150 years ago well elk were only introduced in nevada and utah 50 years ago so they've been there for a long time and are just perfectly suited to that high country so that was just such a neat opportunity to chase those things around Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I can imagine. I haven't done that. I haven't hunted tar, but I mean, just the country alone is it was probably just breathtaking, breathtaking, and unlike anything you've ever hunted, I would guess, huh? Yeah, man, that's it. Yeah, um, yep. just awesome scenery and giant mountains. You think of it as like yep. an island, and and that uh, you know it can't be that big. It's only you look at it on a map, and it's 
few hundred miles by a hundred miles, but it is giant. You could explore it for a lifetime and not see all of it. It's so big. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They have everything there, don't they? From beaches to the tallest mountains, it's a pretty cool habitat for sure. Well, yeah, such a diverse habitat, and all the way from the jungle of like, um, you know, reminds me of the Pacific Northwest with ferns and trees and 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 tons and tons of rainfall and moisture. But then you can go to the other side or down south, and then you get in this open, arid country that looks like Nevada with these big coolies and canyons where there isn't a tree around for miles. So, yeah, you're right. It's just so diverse, that island. They have it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was really cool. But, yeah, I was following along. Um, I don't know. I think I'm hooked. You, you say forget Texas, but that looked like a pretty <laughs> cool adventure, man. Those odd-ad sheep are just awesome. And, again, that's like an opportunity to go hunt sheep. It's like always looking yep. for these – blue collar affordable hunts it's it's just what you and i love to do and so you took on audad down in texas it looked awesome man yeah yeah really cool had a connection down there through steve-o actually you know steve-o yeah yeah i saw you were down there with him that's great uh yeah he, yeah he so makes for a fun a... camp huh oh yeah there's never a dull moment never <laughs> a dull moment for sure. but yeah i've always wanted to hunt audad and you get a lot of guys that are like oh you're gonna go hunt with a bow impossible you're not gonna get one you know and so I was like, well, I'm ready for a new challenge. And that's, you know, that's why I bow hunt is I, I love to challenge myself. And so that was very attractive trait uh, to me. And the fact that, you know, they're a feral animal, they're an exotic animal. And so uh, they're, they're plentiful down there. And, and finding the right place is a huge thing, too, because, you know, you can go buy a guided hunt down there and, and go hunt odd at anywhere in South Texas or West Texas, you know, in the Fort Davis mountain area. But, you know, you can find some ranchers that they have too many or whatever, and they don't do hunting on their place and, and they'll let you go. And that's exactly what uh, the scenario was for us. And so it was just kill as many as you can because we have way too many and uh, have fun, kill all the pigs you can and, and go after it. And so that's kind of the scenario that it was down there. And that's, just ex exactly what I love to do. I just, I have a hard time paying for a feral animal, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, um, paying for any animal, really, it gets to be like a money deal. Like a, yeah. you know, and the, the more you pay, the better the hunt gets. And I just don't. I just don't like to involve myself in that game. Like, I want to find the blue-collar way into it. And plus, you know, I, I make a modest amount where it's a good living for me, but I just can't afford those high-price hunts. So I got to look for other options. But that's really cool. That's almost like um, – it's almost like public land, only there's a little bit more research and talking to people and figuring it out down there. Um, I'm just glad to hear that a lot of those ranchers will let you on where you can go have this wild experience down there and go chase those odd ad and you're helping the ranch out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's probably easier said than done and it's knowing the right people. But if you spend time down there and ask around, I mean, you can find, uh, places that'll let you go hunt odd ad. And especially if you're bow hunting, nobody really takes you seriously. <laughs> yeah. That's it, like in life too, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It was actually pretty hilarious. The rancher down there, we, uh, we told him we were bow hunting and he's like, Oh, you're better off with a fly swatter up there, boy. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. And we're, we were talking with him and he's like, well, we've already killed two already. And he's like, he gave us some wide eyes and he's like, you got that close to those things? And we're like, oh, yeah, we just snuck up in the rocks. And he's like, he looks at us, and he's like, you're a bad man. You're a bad <laughs> man. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. I mean, they don't really bow hunt down there, and they don't take it seriously. So I, I bet pretty much any rancher down there, if you told them you're bow hunting odd ad, they'd be like, oh, go for it, dude. Good luck. You're not going to get anything. <laughs> that is so funny, Dan. Yeah, that the bow hunting, there's just different levels. And I think guys are used to, you know, going out for a weekend here or there, practicing a little bit, or knowing somebody that goes out a little bit. And success is so difficult with a bow. But there's levels to this game. And once you start to improve your skill set and, and you get your knowledge base built up, 
Like, um, all of a sudden, anything is possible. And me and you are kind of drawn to those hunts where they tell you, oh, that's impossible with a bow. You can't kill one of those with a bow, or nobody ever does it, or you got to sit in a blind, or you got to. And, and yep. uh, that's where I like sign my sign on the dotted line and say, yeah, sign me up for that one. If they're that <laughs> difficult, I want to try it. But you get that skill set, and man, anything is possible. Any tag is possible. You know, you you just um, take it step by step. And, and it's amazing what you can put together like you did on the Audad, the impossible critter, which is just awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And there's, you know, this isn't typical Texas where, you know, you're baiting and maybe a tie fenced or whatever, but there's no, no baiting down there. And that's good for some guys. I'm not against baiting uh, when it comes to those uh, feral animals, but it's not for me. And that's the beauty of uh, what we do is we can kind of pick our poison or choose what we want to do. And so this was just free range us and the odd ad out there and, and go for it. And, um, so that was really fun to be able to, uh, really pick exactly the type of experience and the type of hunt that we were looking for. And when Steve O was telling me about it, I knew that's exactly the scenario for, for me in a, in a situation and, and to film it for beyond the grid. And so, uh, to be able to do it, in the way that we did was awesome. And I wouldn't say that Audad are impossible or, or that difficult with a bow. They're not impossible, obviously. Uh, free range stocking. The terrain is so, especially the area that we are in, the terrain was so perfect for uh, spot and stock bow hunting. And it was really open, but you have plenty of topography to work with. And so that's that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was keeping the odd ad on the ranch or not keeping them on there, but you, you spook them a couple times and they're gone. And when you have 8,500 acres to hunt, that's not really that much country when it comes to Texas, it's all wide open. And so you spook a couple of them, then they're off the property that you can hunt. And so then, you know, you're kind of stuck. And that was the biggest hurdle that we ran into when we were down there. Oh, that makes sense. Um, it looked like really rugged country. Like it almost looked like the poor man's desert sheep hunt. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it's like. And the mountains aren't that tall. I mean, you, well, we were kind of in the foothills of the Davis mountains. They get bigger, but yeah, where we were hunting, it it was rugged, but not, not anything crazy. I mean, the biggest climb was probably like 750 feet up. So not bad. So not giant mountains, but, but rugged, rough, rocky country with, with yep. outcroppings and bluffs and cliffs. It looked like anyways. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's like mesas up there and, and uh, yeah, definitely a lot of cliffs and, you know, you find, you kind of, it's weird with the odd at because you kind of find them where you expect to uh, up on top and they, they don't really, well, it depends on the temperature, too. We had a couple days that were in the 70s, and then a few days that were uh, it, it hit 100 degrees, and so they act a little bit differently. But they they like the wind. They're out there, 40-mile-an-hour wind up on the tops of those mesas in, in the sun, laying in the sun and the wind, and, and they're out there. And so you don't expect some of that, but it made them easier to spot. And uh, it wasn't that hard of terrain to navigate around, and it's just – trusting the process and doing the same thing every day and you know where they live after a, a day of looking and you're like oh yeah that's they're gonna be in there and you hike up there and sure enough they have a beat down and they have some of these historical ridges and, and cliff tops that you know they they live there they're there all the time and so those were kind of points that we started every day uh, to look at and and we've got a program down and stuck with it and and it it was very successful for us man that's awesome um it does seem like animals that they're creatures of habit aren't they and they're not like even when you find a good area whether it's for deer elk oddad you know whatever the case is but you find a good area it seems like those animals walk the same trails and feed the same meadows and like when i go into a good elk spot I kind of know the meadows where I'm going to see them and I know the trails they're going to use and they, they are just creatures of habit. And so the quicker you can get onto their program and figure out what they're doing, where they're feeding, where they're bedding, um, it, it just seems like the quicker that you put yourself into them and the better chance you have to harvest one. Absolutely. No, that's exactly how it is. And, and part of it is knowing the species that you're hunting and, and you know trying to think like an odd ad or trying to think like an elk. But 
you know, the other part of it is putting boots on the ground and, and going and looking at stuff and, and finding those spots. And yeah, like you said, once you know, you know, and it's just a matter of time before they show back up in, in those areas. Man. So, um, did you bring a cameraman down or you have Steve-O uh, film for you? Yeah. So this is a little bit different type of or style of hunt that I normally do. Cause it's for beyond the grid and we got a bunch of footage, but Basically, with Steve-O, you know, we all have the same gear and stuff minus the bow, and we just planned on filming each other, and uh, so that's kind of what it ended up being, and, you know, we got some kills on, on video and and kind of just swapped back and forth, and the, the odd ad that I killed with my bow, you know, I, I would pack my bow up there. I was filming for Steve-O, and I'd pack my bow up, and... I just kind of brought it for, you know, if, if all hell broke loose and something crazy happened and we split up or, you know, whatever, I had my bow to shoot uh, something. And, and that's what it ended up being for the odd ad for me is just, you know, I shot him off camera, uh, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's just it's really hard to hunt that way and, and to really tie, you know, tie down a show and, and knock out footage if both guys are hunting. I mean, you know how that is. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so <laughs> tough. Yeah. Well, you're down there and you really want to hunt, you know, but um, yeah, it, it's just really tough to put an episode together. But kudos to you guys. It sounds like you got enough footage to put together a cool episode. And it's just so different than anything you see. You don't you don't see any odd ad spot and stock bow hunts, you know, so it'll be pretty cool. I'm excited to see it once you put it together. Yeah, yeah, we got a little bit of everything with the javelina and pigs, and uh, Steve-O rifled a couple rams uh, with the, the 6.5 Creedmoor, and then the bow stuff, so it was definitely a smorgasbord of uh, material and footage and and weaponry, if you will. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's um, it's springtime, you know, so uh, like it, when you can find an adventure that happens in the spring and drive down there and go do it, I just think that's so cool. You just you, you keep your skills sharp. It keeps you excited about bow hunting, and you're just doing it as much of it as you can. So I, I just think that's so neat that you take on these different challenges and go to these different places. I, I think it really makes us the hunters that we are. Absolutely. You have to get those repetitions in and, you know, you can shoot foam targets and whatever, but nothing compares to the real thing. And that's one of the big reasons why I love these off season bow hunts and especially this scenarios with the feral animals like this, where we can shoot as many as, as we want really. And the rancher wants us to kill them all, you know, kill all of the, all you want, whatever, I don't care. And so that's another thing I was thinking about too, is, you know, you get guys that go hunting or, or whatever, and it's just maybe a mindset thing. But with Audad or, or goats in Hawaii or Axis deer or probably, you know, tar in that scenario or, or, or red deer last year, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to shoot a, a spike. My first red deer was a spike. And a lot of guys, oh, I'm not going to shoot that or it's too small or this and that. But it was kind of the same thing with the, the Audad. And, you know, it, we were in a scenario where we could shoot as many as we wanted. And so when an opportunity presents itself, you know, it was a smaller ram that I killed, but I'm going to take it. You know, I, I want those repetitions. I want to take those shots at, at live moving animals because that's just more experience. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, it helps us down the road as, as bow hunters for sure. And so I never pass up opportunities on those feral animal hunts. <laughs> Man, I'm the same way. Like I love archery and I love bow hunting, but the fun of bow hunting is stalking and getting close and trying to execute a shot. And you're right. It's just not the same as a foam target. Now foam target practice helps, you know, all those repetitions, knowing your gear inside and out, like all of that stuff helps in the end. But, but in all reality, the most important thing is being able to keep your composure in that moment and execute a good shot not just find the body with your pin and buck that shot and it's so so it's it's easier said than done it's easier to sit right here in my comfortable room and talk about making a, a shot but when you're out there and that adrenaline's pumping and you finally get your opportunity 
it's so tough to calm yourself, get a hold of yourself, remember all those steps. And I think it's built into our DNA from being hunter-gatherers for 200,000 years and getting so excited when we might actually get some food. And we feel that like pulsing through our veins as we're trying to make a shot. And you're just in this fog of adrenaline. It's almost like a car wreck. You can't even remember what happened or if you even look through your peep when you get done until you start to really get a hold of yourself, walk yourself through your shot, and then execute a good shot. I mean, for me, I haven't found any rush anywhere that even comes close to it like uh of executing a good shot on an animal it is so adrenaline filled like you almost have this huge adrenaline dump where later in the day you're almost exhausted from all that adrenaline pulsing through your veins but it <laughs> like the practice in the reputi- repetitions are so important and it's I also think it's so important, like getting comfortable with stalking, like the first couple hunts a year, first couple encounters a, a year I have, like I'm I'm so on, I'm so like I'm not making the right moves because I just got I'm so pumped up and I got so much yep. adrenaline, like I've got to get comfortable with that, comfortable making stalks and making plays and being in close to those animals, you know, and then it seems to come together for me, but. Yeah, it's just uh, it it's so wild. Like uh, uh, what we've chosen or what we love to do this bow hunting. There's just nothing like it. Absolutely, and you make a, a very good point. And I really pay attention to myself and my nerves. And you know, like you said, at the beginning of the season, you're all wound up. Maybe you haven't bow hunted in a while, and you haven't sent a, a good arrow downrange at a live animal uh, in a while, and so you're really wound up. And and for me. I really like to pay attention to how my body and my mind acts and reacts to some of the different, the types of different stocks or the different scenarios. And, and it's very interesting. Like I'll get like shaky and buck fever and more nervous. If I'm, if I'm stocking something, I have my, my shoes off and I'm really focused on being really quiet and making the right steps. And, you know, I mean, it's critical moments here and I'll get, you know, a little more wound up in contrast, if, if I'm set up on an ambush and, you know, I know I'm in a right spot and the animals coming to me and I don't have to do anything except for just wait for that animal to present a shot to me. And then I, I won't have any nerves. I'll have nerves of steel, just cold blooded killer mentality. I'm not shaking at all. And so stocking Audad is a good challenge and, and it gave me another scenario and another situation where I could really try to work on my nerves when I'm stalking and, and being as quiet as I can and just really trying to pay attention to how my mind and body acts when I'm in the moment. Yeah, that's interesting, Dan. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that um I try to breathe deep and then I try to I'm always thinking about the shot. Even when I'm stalking, when I'm going like I'm always thinking about executing a good shot. What I'm gonna do, draw back, anchor, put the pin where I want it, pull, pull, pull. Like I just I keep thinking over that even as I'm getting close, you know, I try to just never forget it. Or otherwise I'll just put that pin on and, and jerk my trigger off and that arrow will go, you know, who knows, you know? And so like I've gotta keep that focus at all times. But there is no better feeling on planet Earth than putting that pin where you want it, having that shot break, and just watching that arrow go all the way in and just put it in a perfect spot. I mean, that is bow hunting. That's what I absolutely love to do. And so that's what you just strive for on every hunt. That's what you're looking for. Yep, yep. And it, like you said, that's what it's most rewarding. And we work so hard at it, and for those, for it to come down to those scenarios and and have. That scenario. I don't want to mess up. I, I want to do it perfectly. I want to execute it perfectly every time if I can. That's the goal anyway. And and the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you get repetitions under your belt. And so that's, you know, that's why I really try to pay attention to myself and get better at doing that every time. So when it matters, moment of truth, 400 inch bull in front of you. Hey, it's just another routine. It's just another wild Spanish goat. It's just another you know, 160 mule deer. It's just another half curl odd ad, whatever you want to call it. That's what I try to tell myself when it comes down to those giant animals. It's just another animal. It's just another shot routine. Let's just execute it and, 
and then we'll worry about how big it is later. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, and yeah. um, as good as it feels to execute a good shot, reach your goals, and arrow something, the contrast to that is the horrible empty feeling what you get when you miss, and especially a shot you should make. You know, when you miss it, and whether it's a detail of a bad range or bad grass in the way, or the animal took a couple steps, or you just didn't execute a good shot. It is so crushing. It's just like you put all this effort in and then to miss. Like it, it, um, you, you dang near want to quit hunting. You want to go home and call it a hunt and regroup. But, you know, you just don't have a choice. Like you either pick yourself up and keep hunting and try to create another opportunity. And for me, then I start to focus on redemption, you know, making a good shot. And it seems like if I make a miss, the next opportunity I get, that animal is dead. Like I, I just, um, <laughs> Like that redemption is big for me too, but you can't um, – you, you get down and it takes you to your lowest place, but there's there's – the only thing that fixes that is to keep hunting and to make a good shot. But then you know, if you miss a shot or miss two, man, it really starts to get inside your head, and you almost need to reboot after something like that. But those misses are crushing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's – that's for sure. I kind of chuckled when you said that because if if I miss or if I'm having a hard hunt and I I kind of get in a mode and I'm hunting angry, you know, I'm kind of pissed and <laughs> I'm just hunting angry and no, nerves of steel and it's like you know you get into a a different mode, a cold blooded killer mode or whatever. And we all hate those those misses and those scenarios. And the the number one thing that I try to do is number one, I, I don't believe I'm going to miss. And you have to prepare yourself and do your homework and, and put everything in place to give you the least amount of chance possible to miss. And a lot of that is experience, but I never think I'm going to miss. I, I, that's negativity and I never want to think about that. And I'm, I'm never sitting, you know, in front of an animal or, or stalking an animal worried about missing right i think if if you stay positive if you think positive if you have a game plan you're going to set yourself up for success but if you're thinking about missing and you're thinking about screwing up then i think you set yourself up for missing i mean what do you think oh you're a hundred percent right yeah you hit the nail on the head dan always believing you're going to make that shot you have to believe in yourself and that, like you say, that confidence comes from the work you put in the in the off season. You know, believing in your shooting, knowing you can make that shot, knowing it's within your skill set, knowing you can keep your calm on an animal. So you're right. Like it's always just give me a sliver of opportunity, and I'll I'll slip that arrow in the perfect spot. And I always I believe I can make a shot, even after a miss. The next one, I'm gonna make that shot. There's no way I'm gonna miss again. You know, it's like yeah. I just always believe I'm gonna make that shot. So when a miss does happen like i try to figure out what went wrong and i try to i try to kind of take my ego out of it and i i say that but i love to make an excuse why i miss too like i love to like <laughs> i i love to find an easy excuse why i miss like it's a bad range or like but a lot of times that's what it is but I just want to self-diagnose the problem and go, why did I miss that animal? And sometimes it's on me, like I I didn't execute right, or you know, it was a high degree of difficulty. I'm on uneven terrain. You know, maybe I I, I took a shot too far. You know, whatever the case is, I just want to diagnose it, figure out what it is, so I can fix it. And then, like you say, I just walk around with that same confidence. I don't let it shake me or rattle me. I just pick myself up, and and for me. I try to let it go. I try to figure out what went wrong, yep. and then I just just let it go. Just get back to hunting. And when I can get back to glassing animals, stalking animals, trying to get another shot, I'm engaged in that, and I, I just forget about that miss, and I just keep hunting. Yep, yep, that's all you can do. And if you start with the confidence in your equipment, you know your equipment's on, and, and you're, you shoot before your hunt or shoot during your hunt, you're always checking it. But having that confidence in your bow – is is huge and you know if you can if you can just have that confidence in your setup and i don't know it's you know you, you know you can pretty much do all you can and sometimes you still are going to miss that's hunting and that's what you have to realize too or that's what i tell myself too i'm not perfect and and it's hunting it's not killing it's not guaranteed every single time and misses do happen because there's so many uh 
parts of the equation, variables that are out of your control. And, and I think that's why we do it too, is because we can never pr- perfect it and it's, it's never guaranteed. Yeah, that's well said. Like you just, um, like you say, there's so many variables you are going to miss no matter how good you get, like you're going to miss those animals have such great instincts and they're so keen and you know, they're going to catch you. They're going to move out. Heck, they're going to jump strings. You're going to shoot an animal and he's not going to be there by the time your arrow gets there. That's still a miss, you know? So like you're, you're just going to run into scenarios. You, you are going to miss, you just try to minimize it, prepare yourself, have confidence and then you know, try to, like, I try to figure it out why I missed and then just get over it, get back to hunting, you know, walk around with that confidence. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's so fun. And that is why we like it is because you said it at the beginning of the podcast, the challenge of it, you know, and the challenge of it and that, that it can't be perfected, that it's, um, there's just too many variables. And so, yeah, it's inevitable that you are going to have a miss here and there. Um, so I think it's good you know, you don't prepare yourself for a miss come season because, like you said, you always think you're going to make every shot you get. And a lot of times, I think that's why I kill animals is because I think I can kill any animal I see. I'll see, you know, heck, I've been um, bear hunting, which I've seen some bear hunting you've been doing too, which I want to get into. But, you know, I see these bears. They're across this huge canyon, and I've got a you know, drop 2,000 feet of elevation. I've got to cross a river on a rubber raft, and then I've got to climb up and go into these things in the cliffs and the valleys. If I didn't think I could kill that thing with a bow, I'd never make that track. I get back at midnight after making a stock, after I climb all the way down and then back up to my vehicle or whatever, um, hike out. Like, But I, every animal I see, I feel like I can kill, and I feel like it's worth putting the effort into. I don't care if it's two miles or if it's five miles or if it's a huge canyon like i think i can harvest that animal i believe in myself and my skills and i think a lot of times that's why i'm successful is i just keep putting myself out there yeah no that's that's a huge part of it and that's what makes us better and and having that experience is if you're you know you got to try if a guy told me uh, I, i don't remember what what the percentage was I think it was 30%, but anyway, Tyler Johnerson, he told me it was with bear hunting or any hunting. He's like, if you, if you're like 30% sure you can kill something, you better try it, you know, in in a scenario, depending on the terrain or whatever, because you just never know what's going to happen. And so, like you said, 30%, sure. That's not very much. And so I'm the same way. If, if I can see it, there might be a couple scenarios where it's just like, well, that's impossible, or, or maybe it isn't, or, you know, with, you know, amount of daylight you have left. But if I'm just like, if there's a little glimmer of hope that I can kill it, I'm going for it too. I'm the same way. Yeah. I, well, and I think that's why you're so successful too. Yeah. If there's just a, a glimmer of hope and sometimes you don't even know if you can make it, like you say, sometimes there's those scenarios where it is impossible, but I, I think guys make a mountain out of a molehill a lot of times where they'll look at an animal and they go, Oh, there's a couple does around or, Oh, I can't quite yep, make it. Yep. Even though if they were to run the whole way, they might get close and make it. And you just like you're you're um, creating opportunities by by putting yourself over there, putting yourself in that place. And you know, it's it's bow hunting. You're gonna fail a lot. You end up spooking a lot of animals. You end up it doesn't pan out. The animal goes away. Maybe you back out. You run out of light. Like it. It doesn't work out that often. But if you keep putting yourself in that scenario and keep trying to play those. Those, um, I don't want to say high percentage plays, but plays where you think you can harvest that animal, where you're not stalking recklessly, you're not, you know, getting the wind wrong, or you're not making a an approach in the open where you're exposed, or you know, you're you're trying to still be skillful in your approach and in your stock, but just putting yourself over there, just putting yourself on that side of the mountain, putting yourself close to that game animal, you got a chance. Like a Dumb and Dumber, you're saying there's a chance. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And you just got to put yourself in the scenario. And I never, uh, you, you can't predict anything, but all I tell myself is like, well, I, I can make a good approach. I can put myself uh, in a position where I'm going to have a chance. And that's all you can really do. And that's all you can really ask yourself uh, when it comes to bow hunting is just putting yourself in a position where you're going to have a chance. And a lot of times it's up to that animal if he's going to move right. 
if you're going to actually have, you know, get a shot and kill it. And the more scenarios where you can put yourself in that sweet spot, maybe it's 175 yards away from them and you need that one last move, usually it's up to the animal and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And, and that's all it takes sometimes is a couple steps and the right terrain or, or the wind is good or whatever. And, and it happens, but the more times that you put yourself in the position pretty, pretty more often than not, you, you have more filled tags than you have unfilled tags. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Just putting yourself in the position. I love what you say too, of that, that animal depends on what the animal is going to do. So much, so much of the animal dictates the end of that stock. Like, Sometimes you have an approach where you put yourself in a place and you come over the rise and there's your shot. He's broadside and you make it. But it seems like the majority of times you just put yourself in close. And and one of my biggest tricks to stalking is just not letting that animal know I'm there, like having a stopping point. I'm not pushing the stock to a breaking point where that animal is going to spook out or go or I'm going to get the shot or not. Like I just put myself close and then just kind of let things happen and just see, like, I'm either going to let that animal get up and walk out and give me a shot or, I, you know, you know, there's a 50% chance he's going to walk at me and a 50% chance he's going to walk away. So if I just get myself in close and then kind of just let things happen, you know, it, it eventually or, like you said, more times than not or a lot of times, it just works out where that animal will step up and, and I let that animal make the final mistake and give me that shot. So – I just think it's important yep. that you're not pushing your stock to a breaking point. Like I see a lot of guys, they'll have a bedded animal or something, and they just keep stalking closer and closer because that animal won't get up. And they're just like forcing the situation to where they get in so close where that animal can hear them or see them. And then that you're giving that animal a choice to, to you know stand up and give you a shot or flee. And 90% of the times when you force it, they get out of there without giving you a shot. So I just like to let things happen. Yep. Yep. That's huge. I talked to a lot of beginner bow hunters and, you know, they're like, oh, I have to kill this or I have to do this. And it turns into forced situations and uh, unsuccessful hunts because of that. Exactly what you're saying right there is you need to be able to get into a position, analyze the scenario and know when you're at that point where you just need to let it happen. And the only thing that makes you better at doing that is just hunting as much as you can and, and practice. And so that's very important. And I think that's the difference a lot of times uh, between, you know, a successful hunt and an unsuccessful hunt is letting it happen in those situations. And you, know, you like you say, the, the most common thing for maybe a, a beginner or a new person uh, into bow hunting is not knowing where to quit, or maybe they have to, they have it in their mind that they have to kill something. They have to fill their tag. They have to do this. And man, over the years, it seems like I have the tools in the toolbox and the, the less I try, the more successful I am. Does that make sense? Is I don't even know if that's putting it right, but if you, there is such a thing as trying too hard to kill something and you, you make mistakes and maybe you'll, you know, premature moves or whatever. But if you just can learn to relax a little bit and let it happen and let the scenario find itself, uh, you find yourself having more shots and more successful hunts. I don't know. Yeah, it makes such sense to me, Dan. You're right. Like the more you want it, the harder it is to achieve. And that's a yes. tough thing to wrap your head around because you set these goals and you work so hard for the season. But I find that when I go to new places with new species, I want one so bad that I almost want it too bad where I screw it up a lot or yep. I screw up my shot. Like you're right. you It's really hard to put in words, but you almost have to relax and let it happen, and you almost have to be there for the experience, not the end goal. Like you have to just enjoy the process and like – um you know, you, you, you get in close, you make that animal uh, make the last move, but I don't know what it is, but you almost don't have to care when you get out there. You, you really want to harvest an animal, but it's just like the more you want it and the harder you try, just the more mistakes you make, 
the it seems like the tougher it is so what you were saying totally makes sense to me i don't know how to quite explain it but it, it is the more you want it the harder it becomes you just kind of have to let things happen and you have to be there embrace the experience think of how cool this is i get to stalk this muley right i get a play at this bowl i've been waiting all year for this this is so cool like i am gonna enjoy this moment if it comes together great if it doesn't come together that's fine too like i'm just this is what i I live for is this close encounter this moment that i'm in right now not the yeah. end goal of sitting behind that bull exactly exactly over the years i've this might seem kind of silly but i've kind of become superstitious <laughs> with stuff like that and th this is a perfect scenario I, I learned something about myself on this first odd ad hunt because i was the same way i really wanted to kill an odd ad because people say you couldn't do it with a bow spot and stock or whatever but i put that out of my mind and I, the scenario was where we could shoot anything too. So I wasn't going to be picky. And I was in a position where I had a shot at an odd ad at 40 yards and I was going to take it. I didn't care how, how big it was. And I, I'm kind of, this is where the superstition kind of comes in is if I don't care what size animal it is, if I've never killed one, you got to start somewhere. And when it's a feral animal like that, like an odd ad, that's why I'm not picky on the size. And if you, know, you can call it whatever you want, but if, if God or the, the bow hunting gods put an animal in front of me, put this smaller odd ad in front of me, I'm going to take it because I feel like it'll come back to bite you if you're greedy and, and you could not get another chance at an odd ad with a bow the next six days. I mean, it's bow hunting, you can't predict it. And so I never pass up opportunities on an animal, a, a species, a new species, if I've never killed one before. And so you got to start somewhere, number one. And number two, I, it's just like, I think it's bad juju to, to get greedy and be like, oh, he's not big enough. And of course, it's different if you have a draw tag or you're hunting elk or deer or something on, on a permit. But th there is some some superstition behind it. And I am superstitious. I would, If some shot is going to present itself, or if I'm going to have an opportunity, <laughs> I'm not going to piss off the, the odd dad gods or Murphy's law or whatever. I'm, I'm going to take what it was given to me. I like it. Yeah, the the <laughs> bow hunting gods, I just refer to the same things a lot of times, you know. Um, I, I am with you, and I think it applies to deer and elk too. And, and like you say, special tags can be a little bit different. Or once you get an experience level where you feel comfortable – you know, then you can pass up those animals because you know you can make that shot. But I really think you have to work your way up the, the rungs of the ladder of being a trophy hunter. And everybody wants a giant buck. Everybody wants a giant bull. And you might get an opportunity at that one, but I really think you have to work your way up to it. So when you do get that opportunity, you're ready. And so you know, for, for beginner bow hunters. And I've seen, I've had buddies that have made this mistake that, you know, kill big bulls with a rifle and then all of a sudden they're bow hunting and they're going to kill a big bull with a, with a bow and they end up passing up opportunities at decent six points or at decent bulls because they've got this, this goal in their head. And once they get a chance at that goal animal, they don't have the skill set or the experience to close the deal and they end up screwing it up and that's their whole season, you know? So I yep, really yep. think you have to work your way up the rungs of the ladder and 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 my example too is in tar country i got a chance at a nanny tar she was bedded in a good spot where i could make an approach i've never killed a tar and and uh you know there's a bunch of them up there that that their population has to be controlled so it's okay to go shoot a nanny and it was like boy i'm i'm putting a stock on i'm gonna see what happens you end up killing that nanny making a great shot well you know it kind of takes some of the pressure off too and it's like okay i've killed a tar now I, and i i really want to try for a bowl you know that's the reason i'm over here but I have all this confidence and made that perfect shot on that nanny in that country. And so then when I got a chance and got a shot at that bowl, executed a perfect shot and couldn't have walked up and put that arrow any better. And I think shooting that nanny before kind of calmed my nerves a little bit and, yeah. and got me ready for that encounter with that bowl. So I, I'm with you. You just um, – you, you get an opportunity – I don't feel like I'm I'm too good for an opportunity, or you know, I just I just feel like a, a bow hunting. It, you need chances, and and you can't. It's tough to get it done on one stock or one chance, and so 
Yeah, therefore, you just got to look for opportunities with an animal that you're going to be happy with. And if you've never shot one, then a spike is great or a forky is great. You know, after you shot a spike or a forky and you realize, okay, I can shoot one of those. And then you step up to a four point or a three point. And then from there, 150, 160 inch buck, you know, and you can just keep climbing up those rungs of the ladder. But I think it's so important to start at the bottom. Absolutely. And that. I was thinking about my new New Zealand experience last year, and that's exactly what I did with red deer. My first two red deer were spikes. And once again, sparrow animal, you can shoot as many as you want on the public land out there. But yeah, I'm, I'm not too good for a spike. I, I shot a spike on the first day, had some camp meat. And it's amazing what that does for your psyche. I mean, your confidence is up. The kind of the, the monkeys off your back, maybe a little bit. You can always get bigger from there. And I ended up killing a, a five by six at the end of the hunt. And so it all worked out. And so, yeah, I'm just a huge proponent of taking what's given to you on, on hunts like that. Or if you're a new hunter and you've never killed a deer, or you've never killed an elk. I'd tell people all the time on a general tag in Montana, there's nothing wrong with killing a cow elk with your bow, especially if you've never killed one before. Like on a general tag in Montana, that's that's a trophy. I mean, congratulations. You killed a cow with a bow. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, bow and arrow harvests are so tough to come by that, yeah, you got to start somewhere. And and yeah. two, we all plan these adventure hunts where we're going for, for big bucks and big bulls, which is great. But it, you also have to mix in these opportunity hunts. In, like, Montana, you can get five white-tailed doe tags over the counter. You know, guys need to take advantage of that because that, that bow hunting experience is what gives you the skill set to, to, to make, execute the stock and the shot on a trophy animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. It always comes back to that. You just need that experience. And when you have some repetitions under your belt and, you know, by golly, a giant steps out in front of you. And that's when I killed that 200 in, in Wyoming a few years ago. That's that's what it was. It was just I just treated it like a, a normal situation. And I, I didn't care about I knew it was a big buck, but I didn't care how big it was. And, you know, the giants, they're mortals, too. They make mistakes sometimes. And and they're they're just a deer too, and so you do do what you know and do what you have practice in and repetitions in, and before you know it, you're standing over a mega giant that you might only see once in your lifetime. So man, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah it's it's funny funny how that works, and and it kind of goes back. It, I kind of want to loop back around to that Audad, but I learned a lot about myself. And it was very surprising to me on this first odd ad because the day, the first day, it was a, like a 30 to 40 mile an hour wind and we're on top of this mesa and you're 40 miles or 40 yards rather from an odd ad, but you have a, you know, a 35 mile an hour gusty wind. And so you're in the wide open and you're like, well, there's no way I'm, I'm going to be able to make this shot or this is going to be very difficult. And so of course I, I drew back and I'm sitting there. And there's no way you're holding your bow steady, you know. And I think like most guys, if if you can't hold your bow steady or you can't aim, you're you're gonna miss. If because you're gonna then you're gonna be trying too hard and overcompensating. But as I, as I was sitting there at full draw, I was just it was one of those situations where I was relaxed. I was happy for the opportunity, and I almost I just I I stopped aiming and I just let the pin find the shoulder of that odd at and you know you might be like oh it's impossible to make a shot in, in a 40 mile an hour wind or whatever and luckily i was shooting into the wind so that was on my side too as far as arrow flight and and whatnot but i stopped trying to aim and i just held it long enough and when that pin found the shoulder I was ready on the trigger, and I, I guess you could say I punched the trigger. I, I just—it was just a fast pull of the trigger, and and I double lung the, the sucker, which is pretty crazy in, in a forty mile an hour wind at forty yards to think about. But it was amazing. The less I tried, the less I worried about it. I was able to just give up. I was able to just release that desire or that urge to aim. Like I have to aim. I have to get a, and I just was relaxed about it. And the pin found that odd ad shoulder, and I made a perfect shot. And that's kind of a new situation for me. And, you know, maybe some guys would be like, well, that's an unethical shot and an unethical scenario. And it, it, it might be. 
And it kind of looped back around to, to the fact that Audad, it's a feral animal and it was, this is a place to practice and you, you can shoot as many as you want. So that was a little bit of justification to try this, but I learned a lot about myself and a lot about my mental game by doing that and, and letting, you know, letting that pin find the shoulder without trying too hard. And it worked out. So I don't know. That was my takeaway from that whole scenario. It's so cool. I I love how much we bow hunt and how we're just continuing to learn about ourselves and the craft and the bow hunting. And I, that's why we love. We're always trying to improve. But I'm I'm with you in that pin and aiming that bow, letting that bow, letting that pin float. You know, I think that's so important. And whether shooting in a wind or even shooting in a, a calm scenario, when you first draw back, that pin is so erratic. And if you're trying to – you keep trying to force it in the spot, it seems like it doesn't go there where if you can just relax and let that pin float. And I have also made like uh, some shots in the wind. I can remember one mule deer in northern Montana where – it was just screaming crosswind, you know. I don't know if it was quite 35, but it felt like it was 80, you know. It's like it was, <laughs> it, it was blowing sideways, and I crawled in on this buck, and same deal. He was across the canyon like around 40 or 45, and he he stood up, and he was broadside. And I remember drawing back, and I remember just letting my pin just float around. Like it'd be off him, back on him, off him, back on him, you know, and it, it was just floating around. But eventually there was a little break in the breeze and my pin settled in and the shot broke, you know, or you make the shot break and, and I hit that buck perfect. He ran over the hill and died and slid down the hill. And it's a shot that you – like I almost didn't think I could make, you know. I just drew back and let the pin float, and if it wasn't going to find the spot – I wasn't going to just release it into the air and watch my arrow sail off, but it was funny as I let it float, like all of a sudden it started drifting on and off, and through about 20 seconds of aiming, all of a sudden it found its spot, and the shot broke, but I think that's really important on an animal, even when it's calm. There's so much adrenaline. You first draw back, and the only thing you want to do is get a shot, and you almost rush it or hurry it. But if you can just let that pin float a little bit and start floating around in the center of that animal where you're choosing your spot, boy, you just you hit those things perfect. And that's that's a key part for me is to let that bow aim. Like I I could almost put my pin on that animal and like try to give myself three seconds. Like just let that pin float around a little bit, and it seems to calm down my aiming and be in the right spot instead of being so erratic. Yep. Yep. If you have the time like that, you can't, you can't be rushed, of course, but you, you know, you've been practicing it all summer. You've been practice aiming all summer. So it's second nature. Your brain already knows what to do. So if you let your subconscious take over because you're already trained and let your conscious relax, if you can give up your conscious and not try too hard, you let your subconscious take over and then you have that situation like that and you let your pin float and and make a shot and it's it's amazing what muscle memory and what your subconscious can really do man isn't that the truth yep um no it's a it's a weird phenomenon shooting a bow at a critter with that adrenaline like we talked about earlier earlier but you know you just um you, you just keep trying to evolve it and improve it because you you want to be good you want to have nerves of steel, you know, when you get your chance, you know. So, yeah, it's something I think about a lot, too. And it's really fun to have the conversation with you that is so dedicated to bow hunting and, and go through that same process on animals. So I, I learn a lot, you know, when you talk, there's there's so many similarities in, in what we do and in how we execute. And also, I think it's important to, like, compare the differences, you know, the, the differences of what you and I do, because I can learn from that as well, you know. So, um, man, it, it's just, uh, bow hunting is awesome. I, I don't, I, the, as much as I bow hunt, I just keep falling in love with it more and more. It seems like every season, you know, I, I'm excited to get after it and, and go on some of these adventure hunts. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing over the years too, as I do it more and, you know, it probably sounds stupid to most guys, but it's like almost it, it turned, it's turned in to art, you know, cause art, you can't force. You just have to let it, you know, or like writing a poem. You can't force if you're trying too hard. It's it's not going to turn out well. And at, over over the years, as I'm in so many different scenarios, 
like this. And, and it's just, it's kind of funny because I'll just think about it and it just cracks me up how, how much it's, it's all subconscious and the, the harder you try, you know, the worse off it can be in a lot of scenarios and you just can't force it. And it's funny, the, the journey or as, as we evolve as bow hunters, how our, our thought process and how our mindset on the lifestyle evolves. And so I just, yeah, like you said, I, I fall in love with it a different way every year or every season, depending on, and I'm always picking up on new things. And I always want to be really conscious on, you know, how my body acts or what's happening in, in different scenarios. And it's just a truly amazing phenomenon to me because it's, it, I don't think you can master it. It's so difficult. And there's so many levels of satisfaction that you can get from bow hunting. And so, ah, man, I just, yeah, but that was a good way of putting it is you just fall in love with it. Uh, so many different ways over the course of our careers. Yeah. I love bow hunting as art. I think you're so right. I have never <laughs> thought about it that way, but from start to finish bow hunting is art and it's, it's just not a given and your, your, your destiny isn't predetermined, you know, like you, you get to make your own destiny out there, you know, by, by your effort and, and, and by your, you know, your, your instincts and, and how you react and then being able to keep your cool. Um, it, you make your own destiny out there. So it is, I love that bow hunting is art. That's uh, so well said, Dan. Well, Man, I just um, I enjoy these conversations so much with you. Congratulations on that odd ad hunt. Um, hopefully, you draw some tags here and keep after those bears. I know I saw that uh, sow that you got above the cliffs on. It looked like she was uh, exploring around her den there, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was an early bear and or, you know early season. What it was April twenty fifth or something, but just your classic you know den area, looking in the cliffs, and she was on a ledge and. I looped around and I was 22 yards above her. And so that was a really cool experience just to be that close. And the wind was perfect and, and to be able to watch her. And, you know, she was out there feeding for a while and she went back around the corner to the den, I'm sure. And back in to take a nap or two, but man, that bear, she hadn't been old and probably some of the longest hair I've ever seen on a spring bear. I mean, super long, just nice coat, but her face was bald. Her, like the skin around her eyes was bald and just kind of a small little dainty head and really cool scenario. But, uh, yeah, I'll be, be hunting pretty hard and I'm going to do Hawaii here in another couple of weeks and, uh, then back to bear hunting. But I always love the springtime stuff being out there and, you know, all the, the new growth and bears are out and watching velvet bowls and stuff. It's, it's, some of my favorite time of year oh it's such a fun time of the year yeah my my early spot just like you're saying i can see this vast amount of country and it's all these rocky shoots and cliffs and it's just rugged there's hardly any grass there but yeah those bears are in there thick this year i think i've seen nine sightings so far and a, a couple nice. i got down there the other night and i was going to go cross the river on this jet black boar i think it's one that i stalked the other day he was just in a perfect spot, perfect wind, you know, it, wind's coming down the canyon and then the thermals are dropping it. And, uh, I get down there and I start blowing up. I've got a rubber pool raft. I call it my pack raft, but it's nothing like a pack <laughs> raft, you know? So I get out my rubber raft and I cannot get that dang thing blown up. And finally I look and there's a seam blown out in my raft. So I just had to climb the 2000 oh. feet back up to the vantage point. But um, yeah, I've got a new, I've got a new pool raft for 22 bucks and I got my oars all set, my pump all set. So I got to get back out after them. This spot will stay good as the bears are kind of exploring around their dens. And then, you know, we'll turn off in about a week or so when they move to grass and they'll be in different spots, but I'm with you, man. It's just fun in the springtime, um, being out and, and taking the bow for a walk and, and, uh, trying to create an opportunity. So yeah, uh, have fun in Hawaii two weeks, man, you're going to hit the rut just right. Yeah, it'll be, I, I think they're already, they're already starting to, uh, to roar pretty good from what I've heard and talking to Steve-O and whatnot. So yeah, it should be good and should, should get some roaring action and looking forward to uh, a relaxing trip and doing some more bow hunting. Yeah, that's really cool. Are you going to so, go out with Steve-O? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll hunt with him a little bit and some buddies on Maui and, and, uh, yeah, do the, the whole, the whole thing and probably, I think I'm over there. 
12 days or so. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be a long time. Good hunt. I'd say, yeah, I feel bad for those animals out there with you 12 days in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) No, someone's going to die. Yeah, that's going to be so fun, man. Well, yeah, have a great trip. Um, Thanks again for taking the time. I always really enjoy our conversations on and off mic, but today was a great episode. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, for sure. My, my pleasure. And likewise, it's always fun to talk to you and, and looking forward to seeing what kind of bears you're getting into too this spring. Good luck out there. Yep. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Yep. yep. All right. Good going, Dan. Yeah, that was just awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Fun conversation. You got me all fired up to go bow hunting again. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, every time. It, that's that's why I enjoy these conversations. And like you said, it's so it, it makes me think so much in different ways uh, when we have our conversations because we're so like-minded but yet different and yeah it just i think it just helps me and and adds a lot to my uh, toolbox as well so yeah i I really appreciate the time yeah when every conversation is different that's what is wild to me me and you can have these conversations for hours but every time we get on the mic or get talking it's always something different you know it's just there's there's so many facets of bow hunting it's just so wild to me but yeah thanks man i appreciate it yeah have a great trip to hawaii and keep after those bears yeah well you too i'll I'll be in touch all right sounds good okay bye all right thanks buddy bye-bye all right guys that's the episode um yeah it's just always fun to sit down with dan and and talk bow hunting like i say whether we're on the podcast or not on the podcast that's what we're talking about, uh, and, and when we get together for a few days, it's so funny. We talk so much bow hunting. We must talk, you know, 15 hours of bow hunting, and and anytime you like uh, the group leave us alone for a little bit, pretty soon we're talking about shot execution or uh, talking about the stock or mental approach. Uh, it's so funny. Such a fun guy, guy to hang out with, and uh, so passionate and such a great bow hunter. Uh, so uh, love to have him on the podcast. Um, nice. He's part of the Eastman staff, so I can call on him, you know, whenever, uh, every chance I get pretty much. I love having him on. Uh, we have him as a guest host a lot. Um, he's just the perfect guest host. There just isn't much ego with Dan. And so he just knows when to jump in and add to the conversation and jump out. Uh, so it's just perfect. I really like that guy and really like him on the podcast and hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Sportsman's Warehouse. Again, they just have a great knowledgeable staff. Um, they they have all the best name brands. They have everything there. Um, you can get anything you need. Uh, stop by, check out a Sportsman's Warehouse. You can touch and feel it, try it on, uh, make sure it's right for you, um, and uh, talk to knowledgeable people that have the same passion as we do. So uh, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over there at Eastman's, uh, yeah, make sure to check out those new, uh, beyond the grids, uh, check out the Eastman's, um, outdoor, outdoor, it's on the outdoor channel, Eastman's hunting TV. Um, check out that Nevada episode. I'm pretty proud of how that one came out. Really excited to, to put together a couple hunts this season and, and, uh, and then always check out the magazine. Um, I just love the the staff articles in there, the subscriber articles. Uh, the MRS is such a valuable resource, and um, we all just pour our heart and soul into that magazine and and to make you guys uh, better Western hunters. Um, you can still get that deal. Text elevated three one nine to two two eight two eight, and uh, that'll get you a promotion gear deal. Uh, both magazines twenty nine ninety nine and an MRS book with all the information compiled from. 2018 um, hard copy book or maybe it's a soft copy I'm not sure but the the whole MRS book um, so make sure to check out that and uh, gosh with that um, I better keep checking stuff off my list here um, keep after these bears I'm super excited got a few stocks on a couple big ones and um, seeing a lot of mediums and smalls too but uh, they're just starting to, to cut loose in the mountains the grass is greening up real nice uh, I got all my chores and yard work done and garbage taken, all that necessary stuff. So, yeah, I'm um, going to try to keep getting out in the evenings. And then I want to make um, at least one more trip, maybe two more trips, just to other other places here in Montana and kind of travel around, see if I can't find them. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I'll put together some Instagram stories. Uh, those are sure fun to do, and they don't take away from the hunt or the experience too much. So um, I'll try to kind of do some some IG stories on there um, so you guys can follow along on the hunts. 
And uh, yeah, just appreciate all the support, guys. Um, keep working hard towards your goals. I'll check in with you next week.